DJ PK, time to bring in Rick Benelli. He covers the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. Rick, good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Well, Jazz fans are uh, are great, but, you know, they're not in the mood for back-to-back losses. They haven't had to deal with that in a while, and they don't want to deal with it now. So I suppose the question is, what kind of threat are the Charlotte Hornets? How much better are they looking as of late? Well, first off, guys, I will tell you, I, it's funny, I was having this conversation just the other day with Tim Bontemps from ESPN. We were comparing notes about this. The Hornets, coincidentally, they played the Sixers and the Jazz in back-to-back home games recently. So what I'm saying is I got a first-hand look at arguably the two best teams in the league you know, in, in consecutive games. I thought the Jazz were a, were a significantly more complete team than the Sixers are. And that's not a knock on the Sixers. I'm saying that the Jazz has that real rarity right now of being exceptional at both ends of the floor. It's not a coincidence. It's not a it's not one of those weird number things that don't, aren't really relevant that they're top 5 in the league in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They've got a lot of you know they've got a lot of weapons. Quinn is doing an exceptional job of coaching that team. Um they're built to win, and I don't think this is going away. So, Rick, and in full disclosure, I'm not watching the Hornets a ton, but I did watch them when they played the Jazz that you speak of in that game. And, you know, that was my first extensive rather than just highlight look at LaMelo Ball, and I thought, man, he obviously was awesome evaluate his progression for what he's been able to do so far as he's moved along his rookie season. And I believe he was coming off the bench earlier in the season and is now a starter. Everybody knew that he was going to be a, a you know an impact passer right away. Um, initially, it was a surprise what a good rebounder he was. And the Hornets really need that. I mean, if you asked me um, at the end of last season, what is the, what is the incredibly damning flaw about this team? Um, they have been last in the NBA in defensive rebound percentage in a really bad way. It's just so hard to be a good defensive team if you can't get the ball back at the end of, at the end of a stop. Um, LaMelo has been a much better rebounder than I think anybody could have anticipated. But the shocking thing is that in the last 10, 12 games, he's making threes. Um, nobody would teach somebody else to, th- to shoot the ball the way he does. Mechanically, it's flawed, but it goes through, and that's what matters. So, a losing record, but 7-4 and four in the last 11 games, beating Miami and Milwaukee, some, some nice wins mixed in there. Are they really figuring something out and taking a step forward here? You know, guys, um, it, is, it was easily argued at the, last, at the end of last season that the Hornets had the least collective talent in the league. They had some interesting young pieces, but at the end of the day, you know, um, if Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington are the two best players on your roster, then it's really hard to imagine you you advancing deep into the playoffs. That's not a knock on those guys. They're good players. But the Hornets, this had a, had a dramatic need to upgrade the general base of their talent at anywhere. Um, you guys know this person better than anybody. Um, Gordon Hayward 
the Hornets never thought they were going to have a shot at signing him. They did. Um, Gordon had immediately became the best player on this team. Um, he hasn't necessarily performed as the best player on this team, but he's more Utah um, Gordon than um, Boston um, Gordon in the sense that he's getting to the foul line again. I thought after the injury, um, the biggest effect that had on Gordon was I thought he got a little bit timid about going to the rim. And his free throw attempts are significantly up. He said that he was coming here not just for the money, because, but because he wanted to demonstrate that he could be the best player on a decent team. He has done that. Um, Hayward and Ball dramatically raised the floor of this team as far as collective talent. But the other thing that has happened quite lately is Terry Rozier is just going out of his mind. He is a guy in the last four games. He's averaging 36 points and get this, shooting 59% from three, including a buzzer beater um, at, you know, um, Saturday night against the Warriors. So that's Saturday. Yeah, we, oh, go ahead. We saw that Saturday. I mean, Rozier, that was spectacular. <laughs> Particularly that shot. There's no question he was absolutely awesome. Uh, and so, you know, it's clear to see those three guys at the top that you mentioned, Hayward, Rozier, and Ball, they're all decent, especially when you consider Ball's only 19 years of age. Wow, looks like he's got a very high ceiling. But can you tell us about the big man? At least from a distance, it looks like that might be a little bit of a weakness. Cody Zeller is having a good season, and I think that they will re-sign him. Um, I will say, I'm saying this with a high degree of confidence, that had the Hornets um, had the number one pick, they would have taken James Wiseman because of his really high potential and the fact that they really need to do something about, um, you know, about, about their situation at center. Um, the Hornets have sort of cobbled together a situation where, you know, Cody starts, um, Bismarck Biombo, who was at the tail end of his career, had to fill in for a month when Cody had a broken hand. And they play a lot of small ball with P.J. Washington at center. Um, it's awfully hard to play small ball against the Utah Jazz. I think you know the reason why is pretty obvious. Um, but, but you're absolutely right that if the Hornets could do something um, it, in, in the short run, it would very clearly be do something about their interior. They, they're, they're guard heavy. They're actually going to have some cap room, aren't they? I mean, there'll be a chance to do it. Uh, yeah, um, even with all the extreme things they had to do to, to sign Hayward. With, and, and remember, it was extreme. It wasn't just how much money they offered him. They, he's making $120 million over four seasons. But they had to stretch um, the last season on Nick Batum's contract. It, According to Bobby Marks, it is the most extreme thing anybody's ever done as far as stretching a contract. Um but even with having done all that, they're still going to have, you know, in the vicinity of $20 million under the cap next summer. So we all know when Gordon left the Jazz, he was an all-star, right? I mean, that, that's just a fact. And the team looked like it was on the come, and, and then they got fortunate to, to pick up Mitchell and the way they've gone here. And now they're 
on top of the standings right now as we speak. And we understand the situation in Boston. You know, he breaks his, what was it, leg or ankle, whatever it was, like two minutes into the game, and then Tatum and Brown develop, and three years later he leaves. Now, I don't know if you can get this opportunity this year with everything being on Zoom and all, but he has he talked much about publicly for the folks in Charlotte about his experience with the Jazz? No, that's just that's such ancient history that it never really came up. I, I think I think when I did my long interview with him, the only the only the only area where it came up was kind of what I mentioned before. That you know, I asked him. I said, "It seems like free throw attempts are a really important aspect of your game. Do you think you can get back to being Utah Jazz Gordon?" And it's obvious from his performance that he's he's healthy again, and that matters. Frankly, the most interesting thing I find found out about Gordon, um, I'm, I'm really lucky that um, um, Ron Norad, um, an assistant coach for the Hornets, was Gordon's point guard at Butler. And Ron was just incredibly open in talking about what you need to understand about Gordon Hayward is he was an engineering major at, at, at Butler. He has that kind of a mind as far as problem-solving. I thought Ron put it so well when he said, you don't want to think of Gordon as a scorer. You don't want to think of Gordon as a passer. What you want to think of him about is a decision maker, that he's going to look at things, size, size up what a defense is doing, and whether he takes a shot or makes a pass, he's going to find a way to, to break down that defense on a very sophisticated intellectual level. I have absolutely found that to be the case. The Hornets had all kinds of problems in the past with late game, um, you know, with, with, with late and shot clock situations, and Gordon has improved them significantly in that way. Again, in the Zoom era, maybe you're not around, guys. You don't see him in the locker room and all that. Is he? I hate that, by the way. That's the hardest part of my job is <laughs> not having you know natural, organic interaction with players anymore. Right. So, is it hard to see if he's really? bonding with the team or I mean can kind of be a little aloof at times kind of separate from the guys how's that working out yeah like you said it's so hard for me to judge I I would definitely agree with you that what makes Gordon a little bit different in terms of sensibility and and is I don't think that basketball you know just is, is like dominates his identity his personality you know, he's such a family man. He he wants to be home with four kids. And and I and I agree with you that most most professional athletes think of themselves as a professional athlete first and everything else in their lives second. And I don't think that's ever been Gordon's priority and and, and to be all to be honest, maybe this says something about where I am in life. I think it's a really healthy thing as opposed to some sort of shortcoming. So right now, the Hornets, with their surge, have moved themselves into the playoffs. It doesn't begin, obviously, now. But when we get to the end of the season, where do you see the Hornets stacking up in the Eastern Conference? You know, the Jazz don't need to worry about this because they're so good. But the way that the NBA dynamic has changed this season is that, you know, before you were worried about making sure that you were, you were top eight. Now you really want to make sure that you don't fall from six to seven because seven through ten means you're you know you're you're in that sort of 
you know, one-off, you know, playing, you know, thing before you get into the main draw um, of the playoffs. And I was thinking about this just last night um, in the East, where things are so bunched up right now. Uh, the difference between the sixth best team in the East and the eleventh best team in the East may be very small, but in terms of, of stakes and consequences for the season, it's massive. Um, I'd be surprised if the Hornets at the end of the season were one of the top six teams in the East. I think that in all likelihood, um, they're going to, you know, they, they're what they're going to be shooting for is to be, you know, one of those four teams that gets into a playoff situation for the right to um, to play in a seven-game first-round series. That by itself would be progress because one of the little things that is that this team needs to overcome is. There's next to nobody on this team, you know, other than the people we've we've been talked about who were fired off other rosters. Other than Gordon and and Terry Rozier, there's next to nobody on this team with any real playoff experience. Those kids who are their future, um, them participating in the in the pressure situation that is the playoffs, is something they absolutely got to do, and that that needs to start sooner than later. So when the Jazz played the Hornets a couple weeks ago, the Jazz went 26 of 50 from the three-point line. Uh, does the defensive strategy change? Does the execution change? Do they stay close to shooters? Or do the Jazz get 50 three-pointers, many of them very good looks? Because if they do, then we know how this game goes. Um, you know, there are four teams this season that are on track to give up more threes than anybody in any previous NBA um, season, and one of those is the Hornets. Um, some of this is intentional. Um, Borrego, who came from the Spurs organization where, you know, a very, you know, savvy veteran team, they were able to, to you know, to guard both the post and the, and the three-point line with a level of, of, a, of, you know, competence. After two seasons here, JB made a made a conscious decision in the off season that he had to prioritize one over the other, and so they went into this season with a with a defensive approach that come hell or high water they were going to guard the post this season, and that doesn't mean that they're just ignoring the three point line, but much in the same way that Eric Spolster is doing down in Miami, um, he's willing to give up some threes in order to make sure that they don't just you know give up sixty points in the paint. My point is there are four times this season already when they've given up 20 or more threes. If if the Jazz are making threes tonight, they're going to do it in volume because it's inevitable the way the Hornets guard. Rick, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and, and talking a little NBA basketball with us. Absolutely, guys. You guys have a great day. Rick Bunnell covers the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for the Charlotte Observer. It's the way they defend. It's inevitable. So, saddle up at 7 o'clock and get ready to see some three-pointers, people. Okay. I'll do it. I thought you might. I thought there was a pretty good chance, actually. 100%. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) What else would you be doing? Uh, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us in about 20 minutes. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.